Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. We are backed by Labrooks. Go to bet.chelseapodcast.net for exclusive specials and promotions that we have got you. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chelsea. Yeah, we're still talking about football, and we don't care. Our engineer's a Spurs fan, and we don't care. That's it. He can raise his fist to the sky. 1990, long time to wait for three points. That's all it was. You didn't win anything. You didn't win anything that meant anything. It doesn't matter. And just to, just to make everyone else feel happy, that's Ollie, who's a wonderful engineer, and we love his work. Maybe not quite so much today, but there you go. It doesn't really matter. But joining us, we have the fabulous, the, the erudite, the dynamic, the sometimes hungover during games, Nizar Kinsella. How are you, Naz? Good, how are you? From gold.com, of course. Yeah, I'm back. I'm glad to be back on. You know, it's been a while, but I thought I'd save it for a special occasion. What, another loss? You only come on here when we lose. Arsenal in the FA Cup, uh, Crystal Palace last year. You only speak when we're losing. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm here for the dark times. I I can't bother with any of that glory stuff, you know what I mean? See, the dark times are more interesting. You know, some things are so dark, they turn into a growth on the face, like a beard and oh look who is this behind this thick growth upon his face it is only the one and only the man who is even taken andy saunders's chair because he's too angry to come in it's gary hayes Hello, you roll me out for the big ones now. I haven't been on for a while either. Yeah, but that's because you used up so much time on your last appearances <laughs> that you actually filled eight podcasts worth. So you People are, are still listening. Well, yeah, there's a couple, but that's because they can't work out how to turn off their digital radio. <laughs> that's all it is. It's just the buttons causing confusion. Anyway, there will be no 10-minute diatribes. I know you're angry. 10-minute soliloquies. <laughs> you can't even say it. Because I've been out on the, on the source with Nas before I came here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, okay. So where should we start? Uh, the problem is, with a week like this, 
we only have one game to talk about in the past. At least we could have dressed it up with some Carling Cup victory against Rochdale or some FA Cup majestic performance against Macclesfield. But no, we can't talk about internationals because, let's face it, there weren't really very many Chelsea players playing in international sides, which is an interesting thing in itself. I think this must be the the least number of Chelsea players that have been away on international duty because a lot of them were here, weren't they? Yeah, since the Abramovich era, it must be one of the lowest points. Actually, it's it's really bad. So uh, Gary Gary Cahill obviously got he missed out. Um, uh, you know, uh, Marcos Lonzo got called up, but then they dropped Alvaro Morata. So uh, yeah, it's it's, a, it's been pretty bad. Those two in particular are the ones that surprised me the most. But yeah, Cesc Fabregas has been way out of the picture for a long time, and Pedro himself as well. Maybe a negative thing for now, but I think for the summer, it's a good thing. A very, very good thing. Why? Well, Morata needs, a, needs a pre-season. Mm. Bakayoko needs a pre-season. Drinkwater needs a pre-season. Other signings coming in are going to need a pre-season of some sort. So I think to have... It's a wider point we'll discuss later on, I'm sure. But I just think, you know, because everyone's on Morata's back and they're on Bakayoko's back. But there's players in there. And I think once you take into consideration the the circumstances in which they signed for Chelsea that with a new manager potentially coming in that those players not going to the World Cup is only a good thing okay so I I think I think you're right I think there is a certain amount of uh, relief that our internationals are being basically being dropped left right and centre because people don't fancy him in this day and age I kind of don't mind it you know I mean a summer with the World Cup is usually a tiring summer Um, because they don't really they get a strange little period right at the end of the season and then they're back into training for the international so we'll we'll have to see what happens um but i suppose after all that the one thing i would say and i think you're right naz um i thought it was great that marcus alonso finally got a cap i mean Mm. it is probably the hardest team in the world Mm. to go and be one of the fullbacks in. I mean, it took Azpilicueta a long time to get into that side. Yeah, and yeah. he's in and out and, and things. Yeah, and he, he's, he still like struggles to get in the team. And he's basically playing as good as any Chelsea player, aside from Kante, in my opinion. But Marcos Alonso getting in after all, you know, winning a Premier League title. He didn't get in even straight after that. Um, it took him a bit of time. But now he's completed three generations of Alonso's getting into the uh, Spanish international team. What a story that is. Three, three generations of his family, his grandfather, his father... And now him um, it must be like a really proud moment and he doesn't have to live in his I think there's only actually shadows three other players across the world have done that for their respective countries and they are I don't know (laughs) oh god Uh, you can tell you've retired as a journal the Hayes family have done it (laughs) the Hayes Hayes family yeah playing for Cambridge what what was that Melvin Hayes (laughs) that's for the older fan out there it ain't half hot mum probably before your time yeah, I'm not that old. No, you, but you just look it. You know, do, you, do you not think, mind you, you've got a bit of a beard going yeah. on there as well. But We're artisans. The artisans, either that or a little bit. I get know. called Gary Bushel now by my brothers. Do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why do you tell us this stuff? Because Gary Bushel's a bit of a, you know? I know. Exactly. So is it just for the beard or do you have the personality to back that up? I have everything. <laughs> I'm the full package. So, so what are you now, Gary? Because you, you, you're not doing journo stuff at the moment. You're not well, writing I am, about I football. I am and I'm not, but I'm just doing a different type of it. But I'm you're not just, doing football, are you? Not in the same way, no. Which I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to have taken a step back for a little while, actually. And um, working across different sports and different 
projects such as tennis. Do you miss Chelsea Twitter? And- oh, and that, see, that is the beauty of it, is that I've just taken a step back from social media for a while as well, and I just mm. thought, I'm not really going to go on mm. and do too much until next season, because stuff will happen over the summer and everything else. That's why I'm going to take a little bit of a break from it. It's been bliss. Yeah. I haven't had to put up with people wetting the bed across my timeline, you know, it's been brilliant. Does I still that, get all the alerts. What, what of, is digital wetting like? <laughs> is it very messy and so does it dry out? Take a look out? at my notifications and you'll be like, oh, <laughs> that, that's what it's like, is it? But, um, but yeah, it, I, I don't know why, but on after Sunday, I just started getting loads of alerts again. Well, it's like I haven't even said anything. Well, so clearly people care what I have to say. It was the most tweets I've had after a game for a very long time that it was it was it was amazing. Spurs fans, Chelsea fans, you know, people think, you know, that I'm I'm somehow a Chelsea fan and that I'm somehow upset about the result and you know, I'm reporting on it, but it doesn't mean I'm upset about it. I'm but, really confused. What yeah. you're not upset. <laughs> well, I was a little bit upset just cuz it makes your life a little bit harder when you see such a bad result, such That's a, a, lie. Know, a pro- That's and, a lie. And I don't get the Yeah, track. you're lying now. No, no, I, I, tell you why because bad news is the best news to write about yeah it is you've tell got you the, the most and i'm a you know everyone knows i'm a died in the wall chelsea fan and all the rest of it but the probably the best time i've had reporting on football and covering chelsea was 15 16 season mm. it was absolutely incredible what mm. everything that was going on off the pitch and it's easier to write not not so much write negative stuff but actually assess what's ha- happening in a negative fashion than it is to be blowing smoke up the proverbial all the time. Well, don't you think, though, there's also some kind of excitement with the narrative then, because there's all sorts of ideas, there's thoughts about collusions here, there's this happening there. There there is something to get stuck into. You know, when look, let's face it, when it's bad, please, God, let it be really bad, because then you can actually Mm. get to what the problems are. And, you know, I think this is what we're going to come on to, and we'll get on to it in in a second, you know. Throughout the game against Spurs, and, you know, I'm not going to do what Andy does and read the team out. We know what he did. Um, it was kind of pretty much predictable. It was either going to be Morata or Giroud. He picked Morata. It was either going to be one of Bakayoko or Drinkwater or Fabregas, and he went with Fabregas. They were the kind of the main sort of decision makings. The rest kind of picked itself, I thought. Mm. I thought it was interesting that Christensen had to play because I think, you know, even his international team was sending him home for being too tired. Mm. Um, It was just the way it is. And throughout the 90 minutes, I think I heard from everywhere around me, one, oh, the owner, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's useless. He doesn't care. He's got to go. Two, the board. The board are useless. The board don't know what they're doing. The board have got to do go. Three, the manager doesn't know what he's doing. He, he needs to go. Four, the players need to go. And five, somebody said, give it a rest to some of the fans that the fans actually needed to go. So throughout the 90 minutes against Tottenham, we had the whole blame game. And I guess, you know, it's an interesting sort of thing to start out with, you know, that it was a funny 90 minutes we were basically really very good. And then Moses messed around in injury time, mm. gave the ball away when he really shouldn't. They equalised and never looked back. I mean, is that how you see it, Naz? Yeah, I think I think they were punished by that long, long-range long shot. And in the first half, Spurs barely created anything. Let's be honest, they had another long-range shot from Eriksen. Uh, it was a great shot again. Uh, Caballero spilled it and, um, you know, he, he managed to scramble onto the sort of leftovers. But the second time round, Eriksen made sure um, it was a beautiful strike, really punished. But I think it was kind of against run a play a little bit. Um, you know, 
Spurs had more of the ball, but Chelsea controlled the game in that we've got to suffer kind of way where we don't have the ball, but, you know, we're counter-attacking effectively, you know, uh, you can't get in behind us. It was um, it's generally how Chelsea play against Spurs under Conte. They've always done that. Um, Spurs, it probably gives you a sign that Spurs are a technically better team, but what are Chelsea's assets? It's like speed up front and it's, uh, you know, that defensive solidity, knowing what you're doing with a quite a tactical manager. That's how they tried to play. It's quite similar to... Barcelona, how they lined up, or even Man City, but they played more like the Barcelona team in that first half. But I think Pochettino was delighted to come in 1 1 and they took full advantage from there. Do you think, uh, actually, I always find it really interesting. We were watching that, the, the four of us who were together were watching that moment when Moses got it and he's just saying, get rid of it, kick it against the shins, get the throw in, wind the clock down, do anything. And then he tries to dink that ball. Yeah. At a time where you just don't need to, okay, the chances are it was still going to go out, but he didn't take the right option. And we've seen that, you know, last year, I would say we won the title because David Luiz in situations would like that would just boot it out into Rose Ed, something we'd never seen from him before, but he understood time when you're winning a game, get rid game of it. Management. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it seems to have disappeared. And that's something we'll get onto in a second. How did you see the second half panning out, Gary? Well, it's that cliche of that the goal goes in on half time and it deflates Chelsea and Spurs are, you know, in the ascendancy. But I don't really buy that. I think it was down to that game management, the way Spurs played the 90 minutes rather than the first 45. But I think that goal sums up, that first goal sums up the way Chelsea performed over Spurs in that it's something we spoke about post-match is that Ali chases down a dead course to keep it in play. Why? Because he knows there's two minutes injury time and he wants to keep the ball in play in the Chelsea yeah. defensive third to keep that pressure on in the hope that something comes of it and it did and Moses what he should have done is that if he dinks that ball to Willian and Chelsea go on a break everyone applauds him but you need to play the game properly and that's what Spurs did better than Chelsea over the 90 minutes and you saw it even down to the um, you know watching it on Sky and then later on putting yourself through the misery and watching Match of the Day 2, the analysis from Danny Murphy and Chris Sutton was actually insightful where they talk about how Ericsson was playing on as, as a wider player and then halfway through that first half, he comes inside trying to make it happen. And when they realised they were getting joy in that, you mm. know, obviously he scores the goal, he has the effort that Caballero spills that you mentioned, he stays there. And Chelsea didn't adapt. And I think that's the problem. And that goes through the players. Because the thing is, there's stuff that happens in a game that regardless whether you've got Pep Guardiola as your manager or Sam Allardyce, you know, there's stuff that a manager can't legislate for. That dinky little chip from Moses, Conte can't legislate for that. You can't leave that at his door. But there's other stuff that happens in the game that you can. And I think collectively, it was just, it's a failure across the, across the board from manager and players. Well, I'd say more than that, I would say it encapsulated our season, the whole game, in the fact that actually, for some reason or another, I went into that game with optimism. I thought, this is the day we're going to show everybody that we're not finished, that we're not yesterday's news, that we're not hoping we might get a Europa League place. This is the day. And I've had that feeling, and I've said that quite a lot this season. A couple of times we've been unlucky. Barcelona at home, we were unlucky. Barcelona away, well, we kind of were unlucky, but it kind of didn't work out. You know, we've had those moments where you thought this could be it. And it felt like the first half, most of it, it was going our way. But I think luck runs out of you when you don't actually do what you should do. And that's kind of sums it up for Chelsea. 
We've not been ruthless in front of goal this season. We found Hazard, you know, wandering around trying to find the easy slide rule pass for somebody to just slot it home instead of having a crack. You know, William's about the only person who's had a few shots from distance. Pedro, the first part of the season, yes, he was doing a bit, but he's disappeared from sight because, you know, I think Conte has had to pick William over him just by the form. And I'm not convinced that he really wants to do that with the way he wants to play. So I think everything came down to so many factors in that game where Chelsea have let us down as a football team this season. Mm. And I don't know how you feel, Naz. Yeah. It just felt like history repeating well, itself. I like, I like the use of your word luck there because it's quite interesting. You can kind of, you know, in one-off games you can say luck, but if, it keep, if you keep being unlucky, you've got to kind of analyse that the fact, why do we keep being unlucky? It's that game management, it's that mentality. You know, Spurs were always the bottlers and now they're not the bottlers and now maybe Chelsea are the bottlers it was a knife edge game like you said you were well, careful with language like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well with the animosity but they, you know it was like it, it was a case of you know if Chelsea won it I definitely think they would have gone on and got in the top four maybe even like Liverpool could have dropped out of it um, you never know because there's a home game to come against them but now all those seven fixtures that remain and look really bleak and uh, you know those games don't look quite as glamorous as they did before they, they, if, if you were chasing a top four spot and it was a dynamic battle between those three teams it would have been great but it was an absolute must win game and and Chelsea bottled it and it's it's about that mentality it's about that group not coming together that includes everyone from the top of the club down to the you know the most junior players in that first team squad so what what do you think has fundamentally gone wrong for me I see a club that did not get its idea of how to move the side forward from winning the title last year to being a competitive side that could then branch out onto the European stage again. Mm. And not at any point other than that one half, really, maybe a whole game against Barcelona, Barcelona at home, did I believe we could evolve into something better through the season. Mm. We have not bought well. There's obviously been friction in the, in the whole club. Why? I think we have bought well. Do you think? Yeah. Well, no, we, have, we well, we haven't. We haven't. We've bought some very good squad players and we've bought one very fantastic, potentially brilliant centre forward. That's maybe two, that's, actually. That's the point is that, again, it was something you and I spoke about. So for the benefit of Naz, I'll say it again. But I think and to, everyone else yeah. is listening because it's <laughs> yeah. not just the three of us. But and I, 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 I just think listening. that, and this isn't individual player blaming. And Andy, when Andy brings it up, Andy's always right to say that. And this isn't me sticking the boot in too heavily on Hazard, but. Chelsea's problems, it's too short-sighted to say Chelsea's problems are what happened last summer. It's, it's not. Chelsea's problems are 2012, that they saw the next rising star coming up in European football as being this Belgian kid who was doing wonders in you know the French league with Lille. Mm. was an absolutely incredible player. And he came into Chelsea and he, he was incredible for the first three or four seasons. And he's, he's still a very good player. But in my view, and I know everyone's going to disagree with me because it's a controversial view, but in my view, Hazard is still the same player that we bought in 2012. And what happened is that Chelsea, not, not so much put their eggs in one basket, but they invested heavily in him to be not in the same way he plays but to be the figurehead in the way that Lampard was and the way that Drogba was to be the guy that everything revolved around and everything would slot into place around him and because of that because when Chelsea lose these matches and when Chelsea don't get into the Champions League the same boring headlines reared ahead of oh why did they sell De Bruyne oh why did they sell Mo Salah well the reason they did was Eden Hazard because Hazard was the man that 
De Bruyne couldn't get in the team because of Hazard and Oscar and others to a degree. But Hazard was the one. He was the main man. That's why De Bruyne wasn't going to be the main man at Chelsea. Same with Salah. He was so far down the pecking order. Now you look at those players and in my view, the jury's still out on Salah. But De Bruyne is the real deal. And De Bruyne is a better player than Eden Hazard now. And that's not me trying to be controversial or you know throwing muck around for the sake of it. But Hazard hasn't gone on to become the player he is. And that's why Chelsea are in the position they are. Because So just quickly... You talk about Ericsson, what he did in that game. He changed that game for Spurs. I, I don't buy into that Chelsea bottled the game, but Spurs' big players turned up and did it when they had to. When Chelsea needed and Eden Hazard to do it. And they were 1-0 down. Yeah, and when Eden Hazard needed to do it, what did he want to do? He wanted to run so far on the left flank, check back and pass sideways. He hasn't done it all season, and he hasn't really done it the past few seasons at the big moments. That You see him against West Brom, incredible. Scores that beautiful second goal that leaves Ben Foster stood there wondering what just happened. But he does it. He can't do it against Spurs. He can't do it against Barcelona. He doesn't do it against Man United and when we were playing Man United and you know Lukaku turned that game for them to get them back into it and we should have won that game we should have beaten Spurs we should have beaten Barcelona on the run of play but we didn't and you look at it and you think Chelsea's big players aren't turn not so much they're not turning up it's just that they don't have that killer instinct to really make it happen when it counts the most do you think there's something that could also be said for you know it still keeps getting bandied about, oh, when Chelsea had that spine of Czech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba. Do you not think because that group was so successful and lasted so long that we kind of, I think we've kind of missed a generation of footballers yeah. at Chelsea? That I think we've got good 30-year-olds and aboves and I think we've got good kids under 23 or whatever. But we are kind of missing that age bracket of the 24 to 27-year-olds, which is kind of your life's blood of a club. And maybe we allowed that team to go on too long when maybe somebody like Ferguson at Man U in his heyday would have been ruthless and suddenly would have sold Drogba at a time when he thought, well, hold on, he's just scored so many. Yep. And we have not been ruthless enough. Sorry, Naz, I'll just quickly... Quickly, yeah, but that—that that is the point, and what you say about Ferguson, which is why I keep saying it—it's a myth about Chelsea. With oh, they—they they buck the trend and they can sack managers and continue to be successful. No, they can't because Czech, Ashley Cole, Terry, Lampard, Balak to a lesser degree, Drogba, papered over the cracks. And what happened is that you're right—they missed a generation of players. And it wasn't because of Lampard that De Bruyne got sold, but players like that couldn't come through. They suffocated it, and all that success Chelsea had was great, but you're paying the price for it now. And that's not to say that everyone's wrong and what's, it, it's just a fact. And that, that happens. And you look at United now that maybe to a point, the success under Ferguson went on too long because he retired at his own when he wanted to. And now United are paying the price. Arsenal with Wenger, they're paying the price. Chelsea with that generation of players, as great as it was, they're paying the price. And I just think that now Chelsea have really got to go back to year zero, as it were, and not so much clear out what they've got, but rebuild put in a proper philosophy and make those structural changes that the club needs. Okay, Naz, yeah. here's a question for you. If Real Madrid come knocking, and I'm not convinced they will after mm. what they've seen this year, mm. if Real Madrid come knocking, and we don't even know if Zidane will be there, and he's the main instigator, would you sell Hazard for 100 million? 100. I think I wouldn't sell him for 100 just because I think you'd get more, but I think that it'd be you'd be stupid not to entertain the conversation, especially if Hazard wants to leave. Champions League football is a draw, um, but I don't think Real Madrid will come in like you sort of touched upon. You know, there's Neymar's available, there's Harry Kane might be one. You know, I think he's 
playing better. Ericsson as well. Look at him. Like this Harry season. Harry Kane, Ma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, we'll get rid of Benzema, get him in. It'd be brilliant. But, I've never understood yeah. Benzema. I think he's. He's dross. Yeah. So yeah, he's I think Giroud light. But I think <laughs> I completely agree with what Gary was saying though about that experience oh place to knit things together. I know it's rare, but no, uh, but the other factor I would say is that now Chelsea are not the top dogs in the market, you know, and and like you're saying with the transfer, you know, some big bids coming in, that's what Chelsea are going to need to do to reinvest. So um, I don't think that Chelsea are the top dogs in the market, and that's what you know with the experienced players. It was also the one-off big signings that sometimes you know in an area where a new manager comes in, he's like that one area that we're weakest will buy a great player to strengthen them I don't think Chelsea will do that if, if they're competing with Man City on a, a player I'd say Man City win like 9.5 times out of 10 now if they're competing with Chelsea on a player Man City will win 9.5 yeah, times but the reason being is they'll win yeah. because they're willing to do what Chelsea did 15 years ago that's why they'll win I think that Chelsea is still a bigger club than Man City Chelsea's still got more going from the Man City I think Chelsea, if they were willing to stump up that cash, which they're not because they're trying to run it, the business as a viable business at a time when no one cares about business. But I think Chelsea would, if there was a choice and it didn't come down to money, I think Chelsea would get the player. But just to answer the question on Hazard, I would take 100 million for Hazard and I'd slap it all on Raheem Sterling. <laughs> on Raheem Sterling? Yeah. What, to go alongside Jack Wilshire? Yes, and the crocked Ross Barkley. No, but, <laughs> but being serious, because it's all coming out now as the, you know, teams are starting to plan for the summer transfer window that you know there's this idea that City might be willing to let Sterling go because he's got two years on his deal left to get Isco 23 years old got his career ahead of him the sort of dynamic player that Chelsea need to play the football that they want to play I would take him over Eden Hazard in the form that Hazard's been in this year if you look at the goals Sterling scored important goals look Guardiola has made him a better player there is no doubt that when he first went there, Guardiola didn't know what to do with Sterling and obviously it was not getting into his skull what he needed to do. But somehow he kept putting his arm around him and he showed him what to do. And Sterling has become a much better player than I ever thought he could become. I, th- I think City would be insane to sell him. I, I think it would be silly, but if they're willing to let him go to get Isco in... Chelsea should do oh, everything they really can. I really want Isco. I used to see him every week at Malaga. But, and and the, thing, <laughs> the thing about Sterling, what's made him a different player is that he's more ruthless. That's, yeah. what, that's all it is. He's got all the ability still. He's just more ruthless. He doesn't want to... He wants to score the goal himself. He doesn't want to square it to his teammates and dilly-dally on the end of the edge of the box and, yo, let's score a beautiful goal. Now, I want to score a goal. Look at the goal he got against Southampton when I think it was 1-0 and it's like the 97th minute or something. He just bends it into the corner. Yeah, Hazard used to do that and I know everyone's going to jump on my back and say oh yeah. nobody's jumping on your back but I, I, I just see but I know because Hazard is the the crown prince of Stamford Bridge and he can do no wrong like Courtois can't if these players want to leave then let them leave because when you've got non-committed players I think they're better than, than Chelsea that's what you get on Sunday and, and this is the thing about those players as well is that if they really say oh I'm leaving because Chelsea in the Europa League you've got Chelsea in the Europa League yeah, but yeah, that's, always been, that's always been that's always been the, the, the fun, fundamental problem with footballers going. Oh, I don't like that football. You think, that's it, though. If, if, you think, if you're better than the Europa League, well, why aren't you in the Champions League yeah, right now? Because you played in a team every week, nearly that got Europa League qualification. You didn't get Champions League. So, are you really elite, the elite player that yeah. demands two hundred fifty mm. grand a week? I think not. Okay, well, let's just draw some breath for a moment and let's just cut to a break. The 
the Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Right, we're back. So it's more about Chelsea. I mean, okay, here's here's a thing that I've really tried hard not to get annoyed about all season. And I've kind of given him a wide berth and I've gone, okay, I get what's going on. Conte has started to irritate me. And that might annoy people, but he started to irritate me. Gary's now shaking fists at me and doing some How strange. How dare you? Doing some strange toothy thing <laughs> through his big beard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I find it incomprehensible that players, let's face it, are not the brightest buttons around at times. If they constantly hear their manager saying, we've got exactly what we deserve this season, we are only as good as this squad can be that we can only go so far that things aren't quite right. Do you not at some point go, you know what, the boss is right. I'm just a little bit shit. Is that or is that not something that you think maybe he's gone too far? I know he's trying to make a point to the board, trying to make a point to the world. But from what I gather, this is exactly what he did for three years at Juventus. And in the end, they were quite happy to let him go to the Italian national side. Oh, it's total PR, isn't it? It's like, I get 100% out of my players. This is as good as they are. This is as good as they are, losing 3-1 to Spurs. But I think, you know, I do think he is a great manager. And I do buy quite a lot of his PR. I don't think this, I don't think the squad has progressed. I think most of the signings have flopped. I don't really think it's all his fault, you know, signing Bakayoko injured, signing... I, I worked out like five of them had injuries before signing. Even Giroud had a hamstring injury for a month. But uh, Barkley, Drinkwater... Uh, um, it, it's been pretty bad for him. He's, he's had to work under terrible circumstances. That Burnley, Burnley result, it's not all about Conte. That other result against Bournemouth on the transfer deadline day in January, 3-0 defeat. Uh, where was Batshuayi? Oh, he's in Dortmund. Uh, where was his replacement? Uh, he was just sat in the stands because the deal hadn't quite been completed yet before the game. So, you know, I, I'd be complaining if that was my if that was my professional circumstance. If, you know, I can't keep a squad together for a certain period of time. And he's right. Um, Chelsea have brought the average age down of the squad they signed Barkley on the premise that he was super cheap um, it was it was pure opportunism to steal that player from Everton but to put that guy in the squad and say look have him uh, he's going to try and you know help you this season he's just absolutely done nothing he's done I mean it's been a negative impact on the squad really trying to integrate him this season um, and you know he's brought several youth players in but it's been difficult certain times of the season they've struggled um, like Christensen now he's struggling well yeah. he's overplayed him yeah. because he's got no other options but yeah. at the t- same time it's down to a manager to find an option isn't it and sometimes you've just got to stop whinging because it's going to affect the players that that's my real concern does it or does it not affect the players if they hear they're actually average well, I, I just think I just think that I just think he's right. Basically, I look at Spurs and I think they're the best team in London, and they showed that, um, and they've shown that for a long time. You know, just in terms of style of play, uh, I think that his hand is forced in a certain way. I don't think, you know, I don't. I look at the players and I don't think that certain players could be given that much more. Maybe Bakayoko should have been integrated a bit better, but he's tried. He's played him. He's played Morata for a long time. He's been patient with him. He was the guy that he wanted style of play, but it turns out to be a mental thing that's really stops Murata coming good this season and all these guys have needed a season of transition loads of them have come from outside the Premier League as well um, Zappa Costa I don't really rate him I think he's very much comes across as a sort of fifth choice 
wing back signing, in my opinion. Um, Emerson Palmieri he didn't touch the ball against Man City. I mean, he tried. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. He ran on the pitch brilliantly. Yeah. He looked really keen. He had that real footballery yeah. run. And that was all we saw. I think that I think that he's frustrated. Maybe I think the most pivotal moment of the season was when Chelsea uh, renewed Antonio Conte's contract. They came to an agreement with him that he stays. Um, I think that was the most you know that was an all or nothing moment. And they said to him, "We'll get you your players." They didn't get him the ones he wanted. He got disgruntled. He kicked up a fuss. It did affect the squad. There's been lots of red cards this season. I think that that translates to the players. And yeah, I think he has had an effect on them. But I think that the Chelsea board uh, you know went on a decision like he's not that happy being here but we'll have him because he's a great manager but you know not getting in the top four is the moment that you realize that this is a failure uh, and you know if they got in the top four this season you'd be like what a great transitional season you know we got quite far in some of the cups we got in the top four okay we you know we've not lost a lot but it's not been a great season we'll forget about it but we've not lost a lot but actually what they've done is they've kind of taken the club slightly backwards um, and this and they're signing young players they've not really gained any sell-on value they might as well have just signed the older players that Conte wanted the 30-year-olds because um, yeah I don't think Bakayoko's worth any more money Zappacosta's worth any more money like a lot of these guys they've signed but again they they haven't signed those players with the view to them being one season wonders and Mm. I do I do you know agree with Conte to a certain point but it's just that the fact that he's been in a position where he can change the agenda where Naz and I know the game people turn up to press conferences with their agenda the start of the season the agenda was Mourinho's got third season syndrome a year too early because we all want to talk about third season syndrome Spurs can't win at Wembley there's agendas for each team what's going to happen with Wenger and the the agenda for Chelsea was oh is it going to be another flop after a title winning season and the contract business that contract Mm. moment Mm. as you say not doing an extension but keeping it the same but a few more quid on top yeah but that was it's it's actually a fabrication that Chelsea employed after winning the title anyway it's happened once yeah Well, well twice now it happened once in 2015-16. All the title success before that didn't happen. You know, we finished second under Ancelotti in you know 2010-11. But you know, he's been in a position to to change that agenda where people turn up, they want to ask the same questions. But if we're asking the same question to the manager for ten weeks and he's not giving us anything, mm. we're going to be forced to change our agenda, right? Mm. We're going to be forced to ask different questions. Mm. But he's given a little bit here, a little bit there, and then a big one next week, and then. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm frustrated about doing this. And then mm. two weeks later, well, I'm annoyed now. So I'm gonna... that's what's frustrated me about it because he's been in a position where he can change the agenda by simply refusing to play up to what the journalists want. He knows full well why they're asking those questions, but he's put himself before the club in that sense. Yeah. And that's what disappoints me about just it. Just jump in. He said, yeah. I'm not a politician in one of his press conferences, but he's very much proven himself to be a politician. It's absolutely all about him. There's a big ego there. Mourinho-like ego, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I, Mourinho without the controversy. It is. Well, and actually, for me, there's just as much controversy. I just think it's under the surface a bit and you just have to dig a little bit. And I would say, you know, everyone's also talked about what a great manager he is, what a great coach, great tactical awareness. Well, I don't think I've seen any of that this season. You know, I don't think he's altered or adapted games when we've needed to. Usually if we start losing, we stay lost. Last, last year, you look... 
we started off with victor moses playing at wing back suddenly and he was like oh my god same with alonso you know these were supposed just normal fullbacks he converted something he did something managerially magnificent and i just don't see anything that's happened this season if there's a problem it's just stayed a problem for me the biggest problem away from the ruthlessness in front of goal has been our defense that defense he hasn't known who he wants to just trust completely christensen who let's face it is a young kid and i got pilloried for this on saturday i said you know that kid's tired he's played a lot of games he's having to be the focal point of that whole defense and they said he's young he's 21 he's 22 whatever he should be able to play i said it's not like that it's a mental thing you know it's not easy just because you're young doesn't mean you can just go and play regularly denmark sent him back from international duty for that very reason exactly so he needed to do something to find a way to buy him space. If that meant playing Cahill in the centre or Rudiger in the centre or come up with some brilliant plan or something or try something, you would say that's a manager trying to manage. All he's done is going, he has to play. And I think it's two-pointed, some of these messages to the board. We get it, but you know what? It's messing up our team in a way. I don't, I don't buy into messages that managers send. No, neither send, do I, but, but it does seem like an odd thing to do to keep on what, every press conference to moan about what we've see, got. See, one thing I'll say about Conte, just so that it's clear that where I stand on it, yeah, it's frustrated me, but I, I really want him to stay for another season. So do I. And I want him to stay beyond that. Because I think this is what I was saying about why I have sympathy for him in terms of what's happened this year is that you say he hasn't tried to change things. He has. You know, he, he tried. But this is a guy who came in. He's revolutionised Premier League tactics where suddenly the back three is in vogue again because of him. And this is something that, you know, the, the great well, Maverick. Europe as well. Yeah, the great Maverick Guardiola talks about where he says, look, you guys want to, f- you're forgetting what this guy's done. You know, and that shows the respect between, you know, managers and coaches have for him. But I think the other thing as well is that he wanted to bring in this five-man midfield with, with the two up front. And three things have happened, which is down to him, but also not down to him, is that Bakayoko's completely nosedived. But I, I just, there's a lot of reason behind that. The pre-season he was injured, etc., and it's his first season in English football. And he's a young player. You know, Morata hasn't really worked out. Because he let he wanted Costa gone because Costa was a troublemaker and, you know, in his eyes. But then also Costa can't play the football the way that Chelsea wanted to play it with a two-man attack where Hazard was the foil from Morata, right? Which worked so well against Atletico Madrid when Bakayoko was in form. That... Atletico Madrid game is Conte's Chelsea this season how it should have been yeah I agree with that but things have spiked because Bakayoko's had trouble and and everyone started panicking and then you know and I've been on here moaning about look we need to go back to the 3-4-3 just because of the personnel it's like look the personnel we've got isn't working in this system and the the third reason being so you've got Murata's problems Bakayoko's and the fact that Sesk Love him as much as I do for what he's been as a player. I saw this clip the other day of him scoring this goal against Arsenal at the Emirates against Spurs and he looked like a different player. He could run. Mm. I, I never realised he could be so quick yeah. and now that's gone. It, well, it, why do you think he played in the front three for Barcelona? Because yeah. he was nipping in and exactly. out. Exactly. He can't, he can't do that anymore. And no. I think that he wanted, he wanted to make that five-man midfield to be have Chelsea solid but still have that ability to counter and the person that wasn't there and I think that's where his frustration is in that He's had to go. He's regressed back to the three-four-three. He's spotted what the problem is, but you know, it, you look and you think you've spent X amount of money and you let certain players go. I've, I haven't got a problem with the players Chelsea sold. I think it was good business to sell Matches when they did. I think it was good business to get the money they did for Costa. 
the problem that he's got now is that if he leaves this summer, whoever comes in, he's going to reap the rewards of everything he's done. And this might, you know, people might say, oh, it's just because it's Conte and you love him. But look at it, you know, look at what he's done and what he's been building at Chelsea. And Morata with another season under his belt, no World Cup, hopefully. You know, same with Bakayoko. Barkley, we're talking about Barkley. I forgot he was a Chelsea player, you know, because he hasn't played. But getting these players in and getting them together, whoever inherits that squad, all they need is to sprinkle a bit of stardust and Chelsea are back on it. I'm not saying they're going to win a title, but they're back on it. Yeah, I think think that's that's an interesting point. I I also think... Last year, we had no European football. For whatever reason, you know, some people say that doesn't really make much difference. We won the title. We had no injuries. We had an injury-free season. He could just pick who he wanted. This year, every corner we've turned, there's been another injury. There's a niggle, you know. One minute, it's a hamstring. The next minute, it's a back strain for Morata. You know, this is a guy who's only played 74 games in five years. Of course, he's not going to be ready for the Premiership, where everyone will give you a whack. Still, with you know, even though it's kind of a inverted commas, a no-contact sport now, you're still going to get the digs all the time, and he's had to learn. So I think I think we've been fraught with with problems. Um, I still think that Conte hasn't helped himself publicly. I think there's been an amount of outpouring. I I am interested how the end of the season develops. There's seven games left. There's a semi final, a potential cup final. If we won the cup. What does that do? Does that paper over cracks? Does it allow us to become like an Arsenal side who go, yeah, but we finished the season with a flourish and we won a cup. Everything's rosy. I mean, how do you see it? Now? Well, well, it would be similar to that season where Manchester United finished fifth and Louis van Gaal won the FA Cup, but he still got sacked for Jose Mourinho at the end of it. So um, I don't think that Conte will get sacked. I think it would be a mutual termination if it happened. But I think that I don't think it would paper over the cracks because, you know, um, as an organisation, Chelsea will be hurt by the fact that they're not in the Champions League and that almost matters more you know to the fans it's great to win things especially if you go on to beat Spurs in the cup final I mean that would be great but if, if it was Chelsea Spurs cup final I, you know I, I wouldn't recommend to anyone to put money on Chelsea in that at this at this stage in time I think that I think there's a bit of a you know tipping of the balance and I think Chelsea do need to sort of go into the summer have a good long think about the future of the club and the direction of the club because it slightly feels directionless now and that's that's the biggest problem problem is that the the two clubs who have the similar sort of level of spending these days and and the similar caliber of players Liverpool and Spurs they have a direction in, in where they're going the two teams that are suffering most Arsenal and Chelsea they're kind of you know who's going to be taking over who's going to be managing them is there a power struggle within the organization uh you know are the players uh, really really buying into what the what the top level of the organization are doing and i i think i think not i think that that is the issue and that that's what i think chelsea need to address most of all it's an interesting point yeah. you make about spurs and liverpool you know mm-hmm. the fact that there's the managers and the board are seeing things in the same way mm-hmm. i think that's a case of because those clubs have been so turgid in what they've done they've achieved nothing in so long Liverpool haven't won a title since I was in primary school Mm. and here I am with a beard with grey in it Mm. you know you can always shave (laughs) it mate no but and and Spurs for Ollie's benefit they haven't won a title in trophy in 10 years They haven't won the league since 1961. So it's almost a case of they have to give the keys to the kingdom to the manager because they have to believe he's going to take them forward. Whereas Chelsea's success is now <laughs> causing their failure. And I know that's what you're making excuses for Chelsea, but it's just that you're dealing with a club that's used to winning things. But the problem is 
is that that same idea of what I'm talking about is what got Liverpool in the mire now because when United oh yeah you win the title in 92-93 we've got 18 come back when you've got 18 and United turn up at Anfield 20 years later with a flag saying you said turn up with 18 now we've got 19 up yours You know, and yeah. that's the problem. That's where Chelsea find themselves right now. Yeah, well, I, I think I don't think it's quite as grandiose as that because I think I think the cycles of football are becoming more and more rapid. I think it doesn't take long for one team to surpass another. You know, you don't have these twenty-year dynasties now. I just don't think it's possible because more money floods into the game. So somebody goes, well, actually, you know what we need? We're going to buy him, and we'll buy him, and we'll buy him. And it takes that moment for somebody to wake up upstairs. Now, as far as I'm concerned, everyone can go on about the board at Chelsea as much as they like. But ultimately, aren't we looking at really a one-man board? Does he listen to the board? Does he listen to the advice of people at the club going, oh, I've seen a really good player and I think he's brilliant. Isn't it all down to Abramovich at the end of of the day? Yeah. Exactly. So at the end of the day, you know, what he needs to do is sort out his divorce, get all that out of the way, maybe have a look at how we're doing with with the ground and what's going on with that. And then he'll get round to going, oh, yeah, look, the last year or so has not been very good. Right, we must sort this out. I think it's possibly as simple as that. I love the idea that you give the keys of the kingdom to the manager. It's not something Chelsea have done oh, since no, I'm, the I'm 1970s. Saying, yeah, I'm not saying they should. I'm just... just no, you're right. Used it as a, you're right, because Liverpool... Those clubs have had to give it because they haven't got what Chelsea have got. Exactly. Mm. They Liverpool haven't got, have done it because they've allowed Klopp to come in and play his madcap character yeah. while working out exactly what he needs to get rid of and what he needs to get in. Pochettino is perfect for Tottenham because he's got that measured thinking, which obviously appeals to the board and the chairman there. And he works things out rationally and then allows the younger players to really play with a passion. Chelsea have, for this moment in short moment in time, lost a certain amount of identity. And I think it will come back. It always will do because with this big enough money behind the club that things will evolve. It just may not evolve at the pace we really want it to. It may not be ready for next season. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'd worry. One thing is I worry that Manchester City are in a a great moment and, you know, this domination, I, I kind of fear it will last a long time. But I think Chelsea should be happy with top fours just for a little while, just a slow build. You know, I think that they are... The Liverpool example is a great one because I think that when Klopp took over Liverpool, it's very similar to when the next manager will take over Chelsea. That's that's kind of a positive because Liverpool now are doing quite well. They're in, you know, the quarterfinals. Um, they're, you know, they're going into, you know, third place. So they're looking pretty solid for the Champions League spots year in, year out. Um, I, I, they've not been great, but I think that's where Chelsea will be in the next few years I think they'll be slow building I think that Manchester clubs will be slogging it out between each other uh, maybe they'll be the odd cup up for grabs dream here dream on you're saying that because so. you're a man yeah, what, you what I'll say about Man City no, I mean, one side I, I, the I, blue I, side I don't envision a Man City domination of the Premier but League I think they will no you look at this time last year what was happening to Guardiola his genius was being questioned in the same way that Conte is now I, I just, I just don't see this happening. This is, g- I'm just loving having a just but, an anti mank moment but, over here. It's but, great. No, it's not, stuck in but what, what I do, what I do see as well though with Klopp and Liverpool is that, yeah, no, let's not 
get too excited by Liverpool. Yeah, they, and let's not talk too no, much no, no, about no, no, them. No, eh? They've done nothing, and they're going to do nothing. Yeah. All the, you know, and this is what they were saying on Sky at the weekend. Was like, hold, oh, you know, this Spurs side. Should we judge them on what they win? Yes, of course you judge them on what they win. <laughs> Chelsea are judged by what they win. United are judged on what they win. Just because Spurs play some nice little bits of football in the midfield doesn't mean they're a great side. Mm. A great side. What? Ollie's laughing now, but but see, and I'm only using it because Spurs is the example of what happened at the weekend in Liverpool. I don't care what football you play. The way you measure success of any football club in any sport is silverware in the trophy cabinet. And at the moment, Liverpool have got none. Spurs have got none. Okay, Spurs might get something this season. Liverpool aren't going to get in squat. Okay, so regardless whether they finish third or fifth over Chelsea, all they've got is a Champions League spot. I don't think we should be getting too excited by them. You get excited by what City are doing, sure. They're breaking records and they're backing it up with trophies. Liverpool and Spurs have got nothing. You know, and they're going to have nothing. And, I'm trying to think yeah. of the point I was going to make, but worry, I'm just we'll get myself out. Look, you've worn yourself out. It's yet like again, Liverpool you've exhausted yourself. Look, we're just about out of time. And, you know, it's far too much to talk about other teams. It's all a bit horrible, really. Um, so I think we've just got to quickly look. We're playing West Ham on Saturday. Can Chelsea Sunday. lift them someday, whenever it is? <laughs> you know, are you going? <laughs> of course <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So uh, that's going to be an interesting old game. You know, it's always a friendly old time of it with West Ham. <laughs> How do we? I, I, we'll just go straight for predictions. Do you th- do you think it'll be an easy win for Chelsea, or are we going to see the 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 players on the holiday now? I weirdly think it'll be an easy win. I just think Chelsea get through these games these days. They're struggling with the big games at the moment, so I think Morata will score again. He scored two in a row. I think they'll probably win two three nil, two three one. Maybe have a little bit of hardship. Nothing amazing, but you know, a win under the belt. Yeah, two one. Two, um, it's about the uh, semi-final, isn't it now? Yeah, uh, apparently it is. Southampton is our big future. <laughs> That's there what it's come go. down that to. That is what it's come down to. So, you know, I remember when we played Luton in the semi-finals. And that was 94. like... Yeah, and that was... Kerry like, Dixon played for Luton. Absolutely. It was the oddest day seeing him. Mm, and Gavin Peacock scored twice, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Good old Gav. So, mm. yeah. Well, my prediction for West Ham is... I'd like to go for 5-0 for a laugh, but I don't think we could be asked to do that so i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for two nil and that's it so look we're out of time thank you just remember everyone we are still alive as a football team we are heading towards the europa league with pride and we're gonna have a lovely time traveling to europe to all those places we've never been before and it's gonna be fabulous and there's no other things to watch on a thursday night so it'll be perfect so thank you naz for coming on as usual lovely to hear your voice your dulcet Mancunian tones always cheer up a dreary London day. And Gary, anyway, well, there we go. Uh, thanks very much, as usual, and we'll see you all next week. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. The Chelsea is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, 
Oracle, IBM and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.